there, welcome to the Hopeful Birth Podcast. I'm Jesse Shelto, your host for the next little bit, while we take time to hear a birth story, or two, or even three. Birth has affected my life in profound ways, and I'm not just talking about the new little person that comes in to rock my world. Birth has shaped how I engage with my Heavenly Father, and I hope that it does the same for you. So whether you're preparing for a birth and wanting to learn more about your options for moms who've been there and done that, or are processing through a previous birth, I pray that the Father makes His heart for you and your baby evident as you listen. In this episode number one, I'm sharing a little bit about how God has turned my heart for birth and birth work. From my plans for unmedicated vaginal births to the reality of C-section deliveries with each of my girls, I want to shine some light on how I've seen God sanctify me through pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. Even though I'm quite the birth geek, please remember that I am not a medical professional, so continue seeing your provider and seeking their counsel for your care. Well, I've got lots to say, so here we go. Well, it's a pleasure to be sharing my own birth stories with you guys so that you can hear a little bit about where I come from and the inspiration. Truly, the inspiration for this podcast has probably been my own stories of walking through through birth. So, uh, to introduce my family, I am married to David Shelto, and we have three little girls. Currently, Jane is five, Charlotte, we call her Charlie, she is three, and Esther, our baby, is one. They are a lot of fun, probably not at all what I expected in motherhood, and I'm just really grateful <laughs> for them. I enjoy spending time with them and laughing with them. They are a delight. Um, And I am grateful to have such an awesome team member that's done all of this with me. David is a phenomenal husband and father. And honestly, that's kind of partly where my story starts, or really just prior to him. Uh, When I was in college, I think there was a, just for a lot of people, I guess, college is a really maturing time. And for me, I was really grown and stretched in my faith and how I related to the Lord. I was discipled for the first time and um, came to grip with parts of my story uh, during that season. And I, the friends that I made in that time, I think, just saw a big change um, or were the ones to walk beside me when I went through that big change. I should put it that way. And some of those friends were older and they had sweet little kiddos and my friends and I just really loved spending time with their kids. Um, And I think part of that was the, I I guess almost partnership would be the way to say it, or mentorship that uh, when those friends would come in from getting to go out on a date night with their husband, they would come in and they would chat with us for a little bit and they would give us glimpses into their, their marriage and their motherhood. And it was just a really profound investment. I don't think they realized um, how impactful it was at the time, but it was. And they were some of the first friends, I think, that shared their own birth stories with me and how that, how their birth stories sort of shifted um, my view, like kind of what I had heard about birth growing up. So they actually, a couple of them are going to be able to <clears throat> have already shared their births with me, and I'm excited to be able to share them with you guys in a, f- a couple of future episodes. So stay tuned for those. But yeah, so I, my heart began to be stirred for marriage and motherhood, and it was a while before David came on the scene, and he was just a super special guy friend who I never considered dating. I always thought that he would be so great for one of my other friends, and I was just like, man, we need to set Shelto up with such and such. They would be such a great couple, and um, just never really considering dating him myself. I think maybe I felt like he was a little bit out of my league. I definitely think that I married up. So whenever he came into my life um, to pursue me for marriage, it was just really seeing God's kindness in a totally new light. It was such a gift. And I'm grateful that in our dating and engagement season that David was super affirming and we had lots of open conversations about parenting and being becoming parents and hoping for that and so about a year into our marriage um, we became pregnant with Jane and we didn't know it was Jane we decided that we would be surprised and surprised we were he and I were both under the impression that we were having a boy and so when 
she came around that curtain and I realized that she was a girl. I was surprised and excited because we had picked out a name that fit a girl. And I was excited to gift that name to a child. But I, I just had no idea that there was a Jane inside of me for that season. But yeah, we could just say we always say that Jane is full of surprises because she is. We knew during um, our engagement, I think even in our engagement, we found out that there was a trajectory for David to spend a season in Germany for on a work contract. And so we anticipated that happening. And we had heard such good things about German healthcare and just kind of the pursuit of natural minded um, birth. And we were looking forward to that. And I have to say that even back when I was in college and my friends were talking to me about about their birth stories and then my nursing roommates would talk about their OB um, clinicals and then a friend's sister had had a baby. And so I was just taking in, taking it all in and not really realizing sort of the, where the, the future was going to kind of turn me to. But in that season of early marriage, I thought that I would love to become a doula. I looked into even pursuing becoming a doula while we lived in Germany. And then, then we found out we were pregnant with Jane. And so I just, we landed on the ground in Germany and I said, okay, like we're going to find a doula and, um, we're going to get a, you know, hospital. Like we've got to get all these things lined up. And in Germany, it's common for, women to have um, a midwife kind of come in and do their they they all sort of have different roles it depends on the midwife but um, I was hopeful and did find miraculously a midwife who could take over my prenatal care from my OB she would come to my apartment check on the baby check baby's position check on me and then she I went to the hospital where you don't know who's going to deliver your baby, but there has to be a midwife present at the birth. So you know that despite, no matter what kind of birth you're having, there will be a midwife there. And then after the birth, the midwife will come back to your house and check on you and care for you and help you with nursing and all that good stuff. So it is sort of the beginning, the bookmarks, you're having a type of care. And then in the hospital, you are with a team of people that you may or may not know. Now, of course, that's sort of what my experience was, but I imagine there are other experiences in Germany that I'm not as familiar with, but that's kind of how I got situated with that. So we found a doula. Um, She was bilingual. That seemed really great. We met her backup. That was awesome. She was scheduled actually to go out of town a couple of days following my estimated due date, and because most of the holidays in Germany are, the summer holidays are in August, and so we knew she was going to be going out of town. We met her backup doula. Yeah, like I said, it was a miracle that I got a midwife because in Germany, um, midwives are kind of snatched up by like the eighth week of pregnancy. Like once you have a confirmed pregnancy, you need to find your midwife and you need to register at the hospital. So the midwife was amazing. She had just moved to the city and so she was looking for clients and she took me on and that was awesome. And then we were trying to find a hospital to register at and the hospital, there was one hospital about two minutes away from us by car, maybe 10 minutes by walking. And it was a well-known hospital, very well respected, great NICU. We we're like, okay, this would be a great hospital to deliver at. So I called to sign up and they were like, no, I'm sorry. Like you're halfway or more than halfway through your pregnancy. We don't have any slots for you. Like we fill up on like week eight women are calling us, you know, and I hung up the phone and I was like, okay, we'll find somewhere else. And I got a call back and it was one of the nurses, I think. And she said, I'm sorry, like we've actually had a cancellation and I didn't notice it, but someone had canceled and you can have that spot if you'd like. And so I took it. I was thrilled. I just felt like it was a gift that we would be able to deliver there so close to you, to our home. And um, yeah, so that pregnancy was really sweet and I felt really well throughout it. I mean, I wasn't chasing anybody else around at the time, so I really... (laughs) I actually very much enjoyed it. So we did a one-day crash course kind of childbirth education for English speakers that was hosted by a British midwife in the city, and it was great. It was 
condensed, but I felt like what I, my knowledge already of birth, which honestly probably really wasn't that much, but what I had already kind of geeked out on my own about, plus that kind of one day training, um, I felt like we were in a good place to, yeah, I felt like we were in a good place to pursue a natural birth. That was really my heart's desire. There has been a lot of awe and amazement in the way that God has designed our bodies. And I really believed that my body, if it could bear children, it could also bring them forth. And so I just had a lot of faith that that would happen. And um, that was what we were hoping for, he and I. So my friend, one of my sweet friends, came over to Germany to spend time with us. And she actually came a few weeks before our estimated due date and brought her one-year-old son. And he's so great. And we just hung out and we took some walks. And um, yeah, we I was probably more of a hermit. I feel like I should have showed her around the city a lot more than I did. But she was really gracious and kind and took care of us in that time and offered a lot of encouragement and then we we just waited and waited and waited some more. And I was like, when is this baby going to come? And we passed my due date. We passed the date when my um, doula was going out of town. So we knew our backup doula was going to be in on things. I think whenever I got, it was my birthday actually, and we I got the call from my doula and she said, you know, hi, as you know, like I'm heading out of town. I just wanted to let you know. Um, that now I am kind of transitioning your care over to my backup. And I said, okay. And my, my husband and I were out on a walk at the time and I just, we were actually walking through a cemetery, interestingly enough. Um, and, but it was cool under the trees and it was August. So we were grateful for shade. And I just, I think I sat on a bench and just cried. And I think that was that transition of having waited, uh, and expected this baby to have come by now, hoped for the baby to have come by now. And he or she hasn't. And I think that's it. the emotional release was really helpful. But the next evening, I got out of the shower and I sort of noticed that I felt like my waters were maybe leaking a little bit. And I went downstairs and I cautiously told my friend and my husband, and I said, I think this could be my waters. I'm not really sure. I felt like a little more came. So we decided that I would call my midwife. Uh, and actually the one that was doing my prenatal and would do my postpartum care. And I let her know that that's what was happening. And she said, okay, well, I think we'll just wait a little bit. I actually had an ultrasound scheduled for the following day with my OB because I was post-dates and they just wanted to do a little check-in. She said, you know, just go ahead and plan on going to that appointment tomorrow and we'll just see what happens. So... I think we wait. There was another few minutes passed, and then she called me back and she said, Actually, I think the hospital probably would want to know now. So, in order to establish rapport with them, you should go ahead and call them and let them know. So, we called the hospital and they said, Yes, we want you to come in right away. If your water is leaking, we want you here. So, we went in and they put me on the CTG monitor, and I was not really, well, they call it CTG over there. I guess it's just the monitoring of the baby's movements and the contractions. And um, there wasn't anything really strong. I was having contractions, but they weren't really strong. So we went to, I think I went to the restroom and the midwife asked to see my, the fluid. And sure enough, it was like a greenish tinge, which meant that baby had passed meconium in the womb, which isn't necessarily dangerous unless the baby aspirates it or there could be a risk of infection. So, um, so we went for a walk and they told us to get some rest. And I had bought David these like dad mugs, coffee mugs, because he loves coffee. And I was super excited to give them to him as like a, you're becoming a dad, like here's these gifts. And so we had that little moment. I think we went to bed around 2am, woke up, nothing had really progressed. I was still having contractions, but they weren't strong. You know, I was on and off the monitor as they wanted me to be. So that day we just did kind of everything we could think of. We did homeopathics and labor tea, nipple stimulation, essential oils. We walked a lot, did some belly or uterus massage. Um, The midwives are kind of your primary caregivers there. It's not like 
where you, mostly the, the nurses are your caregivers, I think, here in the States. It's primarily the midwives who are interacting with you all this time. And so they were coming in and kind of offering me whatever they could do to help me get labor going. And um, they, of course, wanted us to start antibiotics to help prevent infection. And they wanted us also to start augmenta- augmenting the labor. Um, so David and I were really of the opinion to limit the number of vaginal checks to reduce the risk of infection and to try and put off intervention as long as we could because we knew the likelihood of you know, the cascade of interventions that once you start with one, it just typically leads to another and another and another. And so we you know, were just trying to make the most informed decisions we could. My backup doula ended up coming to sit with us for a bit in the time that we were trying to make those decisions and offered us a couple of articles to read. And I remember that um, David was just on his phone, just reading, researching about waters breaking and the infection risks and just trying to help us make a wise choice. And we delayed the antibiotics until a little later in the afternoon. And my backup doula ended up returning to her home, or I think actually she had another couple who was also trying to get labor going at the same time. And so she went to go be with them and we went to bed and Wednesday morning around 3.30 or 4.30 AM, like I felt like contractions were getting going and I was moving on the ball with them and David was still sleeping and I was just letting him sleep and trying to, to get into those. But whenever people would come in and interrupt me, they would stop. So my cervix was still high at that point, and I was still only a fingertip dilated. And um, we made the decision to agree to some Cytotec, which I know there's just a lot of opinion and research on that. Again, we were making the best decision that we could. And looking back now, I see just some of the I mean, you, when you look back, your hindsight is so much clearer. And some of the things that were happening to, happening to me were not right. Um, but I didn't necessarily know that at the time to be able to advocate well for myself. But we were really doing the very best that we could at the time. Um, and so that day we actually had a really amazing midwife named Sarah. She was so empathetic. And she came in and chatted with me for a while. And she... She actually let us be alone a good bit, um, which was kind of what I wanted because I, I felt like I was – I didn't realize how much of a mental game that labor was going to be. And so I was very distracted by people coming in and by all the exams and the monitors on and off and on and off and on and off. And I think we went about another six hours, had another exam and another dose of Cytotec. Continued with like acupuncture and teas and all the things that we could think of. And by – like the afternoon, it seemed like labor, I think labor, had. it felt like it was established, like it was really going and we were continuing on and we were blessing God for each contraction. Just every single one, David was praying like, Lord, more, thank you for this one, please more, like stronger, you know, and he was praying and believing God for 10 centimeters by like a certain time. And yeah, I just had no idea about the, the mental pressure of trying to get your labor going when you're on, you feel like you're on a clock. And so we actually ended up putting like a towel over the clock so that I couldn't see the time because I didn't know. I didn't want to know what time it was or how much longer we had before they were going to come in and interrupt me again. And I think around 2 a.m. or so they came in, they did another check and I was still had not really progressed. And the decisions were just had exhausted us. We were already physically tired and then just weary from the mental battle of it all. So we agreed to another dose of Cytotec. Um, and we were supposed to, once I had it, I was supposed to like lay down for a certain amount of time to allow it to work. And so we did and we woke up and it was 6 a.m. And we had slept for several hours. So I got up, I went to the restroom, and while I was in the restroom, the midwife and the doctor came in and said, you're ha- when you're having contractions, your baby is not doing okay, and um, the heart rate is dropping. And they also made like a comment that they would allow us to wait if my cervix were at like a six, but since it wasn't, they were saying that it was time, and we needed to do a C-section. And so it felt like in that moment, it was clear my baby is not okay. Like this needs to happen now. Um, but there was also just some confusing signals that were happening from our medical team that we weren't really sure about. And so, um, you know, we get sent to the OR. I've never done that before. I've never gone into an OR by myself. And 
you know, hearing a lot of German around me, which I was not very familiar with the language, especially not medical, medical German. And I remember there was one kind nurse and I just asked her, would you please hold me? Like when they, when they put the spinal in and and she did so kindly. And I kept asking after David and finally he came in and all I could see, you know, was his glasses and his eyes. And I was just so grateful that he was there and I wasn't alone anymore. Um, while the anesthesiologist were, was narrating the birth for us, um, what was going on, I heard some cries, some really good, strong cries, and they brought our baby to us. And I kept trying to figure out, is it a boy? Is it a girl? It's a girl. It's Jane Evelyn. Um, her eyes were just this beautiful denim blue. And I wanted to call her Jane the Lovely because she was stunning, just a stunning newborn. Um, David went with her, I think, to, to let her get examined and for him also to change and to do skin to skin with her while they finished with me. I think they did allow me to hold her for a certain amount of time, but I, I can't remember exactly. And so anyway, so we came out of there and went into the recovery. We we're trying to breastfeed and it was just really, really hard. Um, breastfeeding is natural, I would say. <laughs> But it doesn't mean that it's easy. And it was very hard. Um, I, I found out later, or realized later, that I had inverted nipples. And that was why we were having so much trouble with latching. Um, and bless God that there was a midwife who was already going to be coming to my home to help me with, with that. And then my friend Leah, who had, had been staying with us, was able to encourage me. And I think what they say so much about mom's who desire to nurse or breastfeed, that having social support in place is huge. And I didn't know how impactful that would be until I had it um, and I needed it. And I think David was such a, oh man, he was on team, like Jesse can breastfeed um, because he knew that the birth that we had had was not what my heart had desired. And I think that he wanted me to have something that I felt like I had done well And, um, so he was constantly encouraging me and helping me and getting me water and food and all those good things. And for a while, I think we had to do syringe feedings just to keep her, make sure she was getting enough. Really. We eventually hit a groove. It took a while. Um, but then we had a really strong nursing relationship. I think the strongest of my three actually was with her even. And it was, I don't know if it was because we had fought so hard at the beginning for it to happen, but it was a gift and I'm grateful for it. I spent a lot of my early motherhood just being so fearful of messing up. I am a recovering perfectionist and becoming a mom just brought that out in me in new ways and I really didn't want to mess her up. And so all the questions that you hear like passy, no passy, bottle, no bottle, how do you get them to sleep? Like all of these questions. Um, I was really enslaved to doing things perfectly as a new mom and Um, There was just a lot of pressure that I put on myself that didn't need to be there. And I'm grateful now to feel more freedom from that. Um, But if you are experiencing that yourself now, just know that you're not alone. You don't have to be a perfect mom, but you certainly are the mom that God has chosen for your child. And please trust that he has your child in in the care that, that needs to be in. And please reach out. If you are looking for support or desiring just some encouragement, please reach out to me. I would love to, to do that. Um, I think looking back and reflecting on that birth, I recognized the pedestal on which I had placed natural childbirth. I saw it as the epitome of this is how you become a mom. This is the best way, and therefore it is the way that I will do it. And I did not. And it really was humbling. It was disappointing to have missed out on what I felt like was the best thing. And something that I couldn't control really at the end. I mean, after we had really done all that we could... I think there was a space for disappointment and a space for grief and to a space for confessing those things to the father and acknowledging I'm hurting and this is not what I expected. And where were you? Like we prayed and we asked you for this. There were people praying and, and, and interceding for us. Um, and why didn't you answer in the way that we wanted you to? Because I have to say <laughs> recovery from a C-section is, is pretty challenging, especially that first one. And I think I finally asked him, where he was in the birth. Like, where were you? And I realized that he had showed up in the way that David cared for me following birth, that David literally became the hands and feet of Jesus as I 
learned how to to get up out of bed after surgery, after major abdominal surgery for the first time, as I tried to to shower and stand up and um, walk from room to room or get things and do things for myself that um, I feel so humbled and so loved. I was incredibly vulnerable in that time that I had never experienced that or needed that level of care before. And so I'm so grateful that the Lord allowed me to see, you know, I was there. Like I gave you David and he was being my hands and feet. And so that is a really sweet and tender moment. And I think too, just having gone through that challenge together, we were really on the same page, he and I, in our marriage, or as a married couple, we were on the same page as to what our desire was for birth. And so he wanted to support me. And so we just really felt like we were on a team and we had taken on the world together, even if it didn't end the way we wanted it to. With the birth that we wanted to, we were grateful to have gone through it together. And I, I say this too, like I know that some people it's easy to dismiss, well, like, you got a healthy baby, and you're fine. You guys are both fine. And absolutely, I am grateful for a healthy child, and I do not take that for granted. Um, Bless God. But I also recognize just that the Lord cares for each of our hearts exactly where we are. And so for me, that desire in my heart was not met. And so therefore, I had to meet with my father to heal that and to grieve that loss. And, um, and so I just, I say that because I think that, that we could end a lot of birth stories with, and there was a happy baby and a healthy baby and a healthy mom, and that could be the end. And that is important. And I, I'm not at all minimizing or trying to make light of, of loss, moms who have experienced loss. I grieve with you. And I, and I don't understand. I haven't been through that myself. But I do just want to acknowledge that the Father sees each of us right where we are. Um, with the pain that we're going through right now. And so, yeah, so that is partly why also this space exists. It's just to give space to women who have um, have walked different stories that the Father has given to them. So, so moving along, we're going to move on to the birth of Charlotte. So I really desired a VBAC. That's a vaginal birth after a cesarean with Charlie. So we had talked with our OB and our OB supported us trying for a pregnancy after allowing my body to heal for a year um, that we should be fine and we should be able to have a VBAC and it would be great and I would be a great candidate for that. And so about a year or so after we found out we were pregnant with Charlie and we decided um, first that I would just kind of, I guess, call around and figure out what options there were. I called the birthing center in the city and the midwife I spoke with there was actually not certain that the midwives that didn't speak English would be comfortable caring for me. And so even though they had space, she recommended that I see about a midwife for a home birth. And I think maybe in the deep parts of my heart, I had wanted a home birth, um, but I wasn't necessarily willing to admit that. After Jane's birth, I definitely was more willing. I didn't feel like I could ever birth in a hospital after that first experience. It was so hard. So um, I took that midwife's advice. So I used the midwifery registry to find a midwife in my area that was bilingual and worked in my area and would attend a home birth. I found one. Her name was Susanna. She was great. She lived right down the road from us. And that pregnancy was really low maintenance. Um, Susanna would come and check on me. I mean, I was healthy and the baby was healthy and there was only, you know, so much intervention that you would do with a, with a midwife anyway. And so as long as everything looked good and I had occasional checks with my OB, you know, we thought everything was, was good to go. So with my first pregnancy, I had, I guess, pretty freely shared my due date my estimated date. And I didn't realize how weighty that would feel with, you know, people curiously wanting to know, Hey, have you gone into labor yet? And are you having, is there a baby? And I didn't realize how much that would just bring the fact that I was post dates would be on my mind. And with Jane, I was super afraid of, of being asked to be induced. And so with Charlotte's birth being a, a plan to home birth and not, um, I just decided that we really wouldn't share a due date and we definitely would not share 
that we were planning a home birth. And so I think I kept more of that pregnancy kind of on the DL than I did with Jane. But I was just trying to guard my heart and my mind around that. And so it was an emotionally harder pregnancy. I, I think I felt okay, but I think I just, you know, the ups and downs emotionally were a little bit more difficult. But other than that, it was a really good pregnancy. I went and saw a, an osteopath a couple of times there, and that was really sweet. I think just before the 37-week mark, I was at church one Sunday, and I was just feeling very overwhelmed by everything that was happening at that time. And then also, I think, preparing for the birth. And I went up to the front to receive prayer from my friend at the, towards the end of the service. Her name is Morel. And she asked me how I was doing. And I, I said the word overwhelmed and just burst into tears and broke down on her. And, you know, she just prayed over me and began to just speak prayers. And it was just really lovely, just a sweet interaction. Um, and there were, there was a moment where she said, um, she said, Jess, you know, there's this, uh, this really crazy thing, but I, uh, I feel like the Lord wants me to ask you if I can be at your birth. And at this point we hadn't hired a doula, which being a, a doula, I should know better than that, but <laughs> we hadn't. Um, but I had wanted Morel to be there so oddly. Uh, I was afraid to ask her because she was a mom of two already, very busy working. And I just didn't see how I could ask someone that big of, a, of an ask. Like, can you be on call to just come to my birth whenever it happens? And, oh, by the way, I haven't told you yet, but it's a home birth. Um, and so she just said that she had received this picture from the Lord of being with me during my birth, rubbing my shoulders in my living room and thinking like, oh, it's time, like it's getting close to time. And she offered me that picture, which was just increased my hope that the Lord would give me a VBAC. And I was just really hopeful. So I was also too just that moment of feeling so seen by the Lord that he would give her that picture and compel her to ask me if she could come to my birth. That was huge. I felt really loved. And so made plans for her to be there, made plans for Jane's care during that time. Also, I think towards the end of that pregnancy, I read this really wonderful book called Holy Labor. It was written by Aubrey Smith. She just shared some really great words, which I'm going to quote her book right now to you guys, because I sort of needed to come face to face with the fact of what if I don't have the birth that I desire again? Like, where am I and the Lord going to be if that happens? So here we go. When we are able to put childbirth in its proper perspective, something that glorifies God and points to Jesus, then we can let go of our categories of success and failure in birth. A friend of mine recently attempted a vaginal birth after a cesarean, VBAC, but her uterus ruptured during labor and both she and her baby were in great danger. She described it as a failed VBAC. She struggled for nearly a year with feelings of failure and guilt over her epidural and cesarean. I battled my own pride when I achieved a drug-free birth. Vaginal birth doesn't equal success. Drug-free doesn't equal success. We succeed when we honor Jesus and we glorify his strength at work in us in our weakness. And so coming to grips... Um, coming to grips with that idea of not there is no success and no failure there's only success in christ and that was really huge um for me so this time my waters broke around 40 weeks and two days which was earlier than it had with jane so i um checked and the fluids were clear just a little rosy and i was so, so grateful for that i called my midwife she said um she said something like contractions don't want to start until after the first baby is in bed so kind of get your baby in bed and chill out and contractions will start and so david and i i think we made cookies and we watched a show and then we went to bed we just didn't want to force labor and have to play that game of must get things started we're on a clock again um, especially with the clear fluids, that was very encouraging. So I woke up the next morning pretty disappointed that labor had not started overnight, that I hadn't started feeling contractions. Um, I cried. I took a nap. Um, David and I took Jane to the park. And while we were at the park, Morel called 
And she said, man, I have been praying for you all day. I have, or all morning, I have not wanted to, to even be at work right now because I'm just so in prayer for you. And she just kind of talked through sort of some things that she felt like the Lord had given her for me. One of those things was that, that God seemed to want to break off a lie in me that was trying to take hold. And that was that, um, it is better to not, to not risk disappointment, that it's better to just not even try to just, to just give up. And she said that, that I wanted to hope for something and that I was taking a risk by trying for a VBAC and that I was trusting God with the outcome. And so she actually had David, um, stop at one point and put his hands on my belly and pray for a contraction and tell my, tell my uterus to contract. And sure enough, it contracted. I had a good contraction. I decided I would go ahead ahead of him and Jane and start walking home and just chill out. And I started to walk away and I felt some fluids leak, which hadn't really been happening after that initial, um, waters breaking. And so I was like, "Mm, okay, David, on second thought, like, I think I want you to come home with me. (laughs) So we headed back to the apartment and I saw meconium and I knew that it was time to make sure that Charlie was cared for and that my desires were going to be put in the back seat. And so I had the sweetest symbols. Um, My friends had made a prayer bracelet for me at my baby shower. Um, I had as they strung the beads on my bracelet, they spoke just specific hopes for me, over me. And um, it's a gorgeous, like, glass bead bracelet. It's so pretty. I still have it. And I had also made these little cards and punched them and put, like, a, a ring, a binder ring through them. Um, just different verses that talked about, you know, faith or hope or just peace. And I would just kind of flip through those who were going. So needless to say, saw the meconium call my midwife. She said, I'll meet you at the hospital, which we were registered at a different hospital this time that my midwife was more familiar with. Um, Even though she didn't have admitting privileges there, she could still go with me and help me get transferred into their care. And so we headed to the hospital and call morale and we, David was struggling to find a parking spot because this, this particular hospital is right in the city center. And so he was just scouring the street for a spot and finally ran into morale and was able to hand Jade off to her and then he was able to kind of rush inside the hospital and find me and um, that, you know, I was given an exam and the doctors um, noticed that Charlie was kind of, instead of being straight, head straight down, like at six o'clock in my pelvis, she was sort of at like seven o'clock and they tried manually to turn her to see if, if she would stay and if they could move her. And she just refused to go in that position. So... Based on that and her unwillingness to move, um, the meconium, which was, of course, the infection risk. Um, and then there was a little bit of, of like heart rate dropping during contractions. It was coming back up, but it was still a little bit of a thing. So they just felt based on that that it would be good for us to, to go ahead and pursue a C-section. And I remember in that moment I had envisioned, you know, I had already thought about at this point, like, I want the drape to be lowered so I can see my baby be born. And actually that's something I never would have thought that I had wanted with Jane. I'm not a person who loves to watch surgeries, but the disconnect that I felt when Jane was brought to me was huge because I couldn't, I didn't see her come out. And I was just like, where did this baby come from? He has just like pulled some random baby and bringing this baby around to me. And I don't know, is that mine? Like, but with Charlie, I knew that I wanted to see her come out and to participate in her birth in that way. And so um, they got me on the OR table. David got in there and they let me know. Um, the doctor kind of came rushing in a little bit. And I remember the the midwife was sort of like moving the Doppler around, sort of having a little bit of trouble finding Charlie's heartbeat. Um, and the doctor kind of came in and was like, hi, Mrs. Shelto. I think she probably called me like Frau Schilato because that's how they like to pronounce it. And she said, I'm going to try to do what you've asked me to do by lowering the curtain. Um, but your baby is not well and I need to go ahead and get her out. And I said, that's fine. Do what you need to do. So Charlie actually came out feet first, uh, which was a total surprise to see those little feet pop out first. But she came out and she was doing so well. 
And I was just grateful to be able to participate in her birthday. We're able to lower the curtain and we were just cheering. Come on, Charlie, you can do it. And um, as she was born and it was so sweet, but we were able to go back to recovery and she just latched on immediately, which was amazing after my initial, my struggle with Jane that, that she would latch just so quickly. That was such a treasure, a gift from the Lord, I think. And um, I, my friend Morel had come back to the hospital after she had dropped Jane off at a friend's house and she was waiting for us during the surgery and she came back to meet Charlie and it was just good to have her there, to have someone share in the birth with us that loved us and knew us. And um, later I got to just kind of reflect on, and she was able to share with me sort of how she had been praying and sort of what she had been processing through with the Lord of like, God, you gave me this picture of Jesse, you know, being in labor and me being with her at her house. And this is not that picture. And she felt like God had, had showed her, like, I showed you her desire so that you would be there. And that still just makes me tear up a little bit to feel so seen by the Lord that he knows my desires and that he cared for that desire, that there would be someone there for us. Um, to help us with Jane and and to be praying, being a, a watchman, I think is what Morel called it. Um, but it was just so kind of him. I think I had a lot easier of time like processing through Charlie's birth because I had tried to prepare my heart beforehand. And whenever she was born, um, the verse on my little birth card notes that I came to, one of them was, be at rest once more, my, oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And I just remember feeling so peaceful um, and grateful to see the goodness of the Lord in the birth of, of Charlotte. My recovery was also a lot better that time because I had begun doing Pilates and bar. I did a lot of bar um, at-home workouts. Um, I can share a referral link to the Pilates program that I use because I just think it's phenomenal. And she has a prenatal program too. But I really, I just love loved it and it, it made such a difference in my recovery even the nurse commented like do you do yoga like have you been working out because I was able to get out of the bed a lot easier than I had with Jane and um, I was like I do Pilates thank you for noticing but that too is a gift and I think some of my friends had prayed for a supernatural recover for recovery for me that time and, and sure enough I received it so about eight weeks after Charlie was born we ended up moving back to the United States from Germany and about uh, four or six months after Charlie's first birthday, my heart was being stirred again for, for another baby. And David's was too. And we got pregnant pretty quickly again, which I is not something that I take lightly. I'm very humbled by that. I had talked with my family practitioner, I think maybe probably while Charlie was still just a couple months old and I'd asked if there were any practices, any OB practices in our area that practice gentle cesareans, because I knew at that point, you know, I'm, I'm a clear drape girl. I'm like, like, please, you know, do the, like, I know the specific things that I want a C-section. Um, so if God ever, you know, grows our family again, like I, I want to know where there's a, a gentle cesarean OB practice. And she said, well, actually, like, I think the midwives, the hospital midwives here will support VBA2Cs, which is a vaginal birth after two cesareans. And I was like, what? That's crazy. So right after we found out we were pregnant, I was calling up the midwives and I was calling up a doula and we were learning spinning babies with our doula and we were, I was doing chiropractic care. Um, we were doing all the things. Um, pregnancy, I was definitely way more tired this time around. I could not keep up. Like it was so exhausting, but I'm grateful, man, I'm grateful. My girls are, are just precious, but I'm grateful that they probably don't remember a lot of that season because I was just tired a lot and felt pretty limited in what we could go and do without me just being exhausted. So the thing about that pregnancy is that sort of once again, we kind of had like an unstable lie. At one point, Esther was completely transverse. It just felt pretty uncomfortable. Uh, and we tried acupuncture and moxibustion. We went in at one point thinking that we were going to have, we were going to be considered for a manual version. And she was head down. <laughs> so it's just... You just never know what you're going to get with Esther, I guess. But we went post-dates again. 
with her. And I was like, ah, man, like each time, like pregnancy gets shorter. So I had Charlie at 40 weeks and two days. So she's going to come before 40 weeks for sure. Well, then 40 weeks and two days passed and we went and met with my midwives and they actually like strongly encouraged induction, which I'm a doula. Like I'm trained. I know induction, like risks, benefits, all the things. Sort of the way that we ended up making decisions on it was that previously my waters had broken to start both labors. And so we felt like my body had never really been able or encouraged to really contract. Like my uterus had never been able to really have strong progressing contractions with either of my other two pregnancies and births. So we felt like it would be a, a good option. And so we, leading up to the scheduled induction, we did everything. <laughs> We did the castor oil cocktail. We did acupressure, mild circuit, nipple simulation. Um, I was having contractions, but once again, they were not strong or progressing. And so we got ourselves together and went to the hospital, called our doula to meet us there. And she graciously came. Y'all, not most doulas do not just come like when you're scheduled for an induction. Like they don't all just come. Some of them wait until you're actively in labor. And I totally understand why. Um, but if you're interviewing a doula and you think that there's a possibility that you might have an induction, you should really ask them, hey, do you come at like the start of the induction or do you come in active labor? And just make sure you know that timing because it really can make a difference. I mean, it was huge and it was a massive sacrifice. Any doula who's willing to come at the start of the induction, like those can take hours and days. And so we were so Oh, grateful that my, my doula was willing to be with us the whole time. But so we got into the hospital, we met our nurse. She was kind, but super straightforward. Um, she told us that the doctor who was on for us that day, our OB would also be really straightforward and would not sugarcoat anything, but that she was good at what she did. So we said, okay. So then my midwife came in and she examined me and said that I was a tight zero and 20% effaced and her first comment after that pretty much was to offer me a repeat cesarean which I know some of my birthy people might get a little (laughs) upset about that but I want you to know that she didn't want what actually ended up happening to me to happen to me in a way that would not that would be really upsetting and devastating for me and so I totally understand where that came from. And I appreciated too that she continued to walk alongside us in our decisions. And I remember waiting for the doctor to come and she just said, you know, your, your history and your body tells us one thing, but your cervix is saying something very different. Like you look like a great candidate for a BBAC, but you're like, you're a zero. And I, I just remember after we had already had a space to kind of process through Decision-making with my doula, again, another great reason I'm a doula, y'all, is just to be able to have someone to bounce ideas off of to make sure that you're making an informed decision. That is huge. So we felt like we had come to a place of peace with what we desired, but we wanted to hear what the doctor had to say. And I told her, I said, I, I understand. And I just want to have the opportunity to tell my daughters that I tried. And so she said, well, okay. Let's get a Foley bulb in you. So we started with a Foley bulb induction with some Pitocin. And I recognized too, so when you choose where you're going to give birth, you choose to play by the rules of of that field, of that ball field. So in the hospital, you're playing by hospital rules. At home, you're playing by a different set of rules. And so I knew that um, a word that I feel like the Lord had put on my heart for that birth was submission. And, you know, a lot of, I often hear in birth women say, I had to surrender. Like, I got to a place where I surrendered. But I really felt now, and looking back, was like, no, I think the Lord did say submit. Like, I knew that I was playing playing ball in someone else's ball field, and then I needed to kind of be prepared for for what they would think and to be able to weigh the options as best we could. And so around 1.30 that afternoon, um, we got all started and set up and, and went and went, and by... 5.30, my contractions were a lot stronger, and they were two minutes apart. Around 12.30, my Foley bulb came out. And then around 5.30 a.m., I was a stretchy four and 85% effaced. Um, and my waters broke, and they were meconium-tinged, which I said, 
Okay, we've been there, we've done that. So no beautiful birthing tub for me. Got it. Man. Now about 1240 that afternoon, I was at six centimeters and I was pretty discouraged. I was exhausted. Um, I can look back and tell you all the things that I did wrong that I should have done differently. Maybe not even agreeing to the induction in the first place. I don't know. But I was so tired and I had gotten to a place where I don't know that I can push this baby out if I don't get rest. Like if I, I don't know if I'm going to have the strength. And so we talked about it. We weighed the decision with my doula and we agreed that we would get an epidural in the hopes that my body would be able to rest and that I would have enough energy and strength to push. So we made that decision. I remember that I was very out of it at that point. The anesthesiologist came in and he was talking to me and I was so out of my head. I don't even remember everything he said. I remember that I was shocked because they let David be in the room with me when I received the epidural. And so previously, you know, they wouldn't let David in the OR until I was all prepped for surgery. And so to be able to have him in the room with me, because that's one part that I didn't love. And I remember David reached his arms around the sterile field and I was just like, ah, no, like you can't reach your arms around my back. And the doctor like made a joke at him about it. And so I got that placed and I really struggled to get comfortable. And I kept pushing the thing. Like there was one part of my back that I just couldn't get touched and then I couldn't get comfortable and I guess you think like oh it's just gonna numb everything and you're gonna feel so great and it really didn't for me um but I guess everybody's experience is different so I um I was really mentally concerned that I was very felt really reclined and that I needed to be more upright to allow gravity to help baby continue to descend and so that was kind of distressing in my mind and also just having trouble getting comfortable enough to like be able to fall asleep but they ended up putting me on the peanut and we were rotating back and forth. And um, at 4.15 that afternoon, I was still at a six and the midwife called the doctor and they agreed that they should, they should try just bumping up the Pitocin since Esther was doing so well. So we did that. And around nine o'clock, I was still at a six. And at that time, my midwife said, I think that it's time that we get a baby. Those were her words. And I just said, okay. Um, I felt like we had tried a lot and had done what we could. I had been given an opportunity to fight for something that I believed in and desired. And that felt like enough. Um, and so, yeah, we agreed to the cesarean. And I think that it was the best cesarean that I had had, um, which I didn't think I would maybe ever be able to say that, but, um, to call a cesarean the best one, but, um, the, the midwife was able to be there with us and our doctor was great. And she came out so wonderfully. Oh man. They put her on me and she immediately peed on me. And I was like, gosh, she's peeing on me. And everybody in there, all the ladies in the room go, oh, um, But it was just so sweet to be able to hold her right away and to have the clear drape and all these things that I knew that I desired um, that I felt really seen in. And I advocated for my doula to be present in the OR. I I was very clear that I desired that. And um, the anesthesiologist and the OB were, were supportive and allowed her to go back with us. So after my doula and David left with Esther to get settled back in the room, the doctor and the midwife were, were in there finishing up with me. And I, I have to say that it was incredibly comforting to be in an OR where they were speaking English. Um, because before, you know, I didn't know if they were talking about me or the baby or, uh, you know, if they were concerned or what was going on. And I just remember sitting in the OR listening to them chit chat. Like, this is just work chatter. Like, we're just talking across the OR about our day or whatever's going on in our lives. And I just remember being so comforted by that. Like, oh, this is actually what it's like cool. And so I just really loved that. It was such a gift to be in an English speaking environment. And I remember just talking with my, my midwife and the doctor as they were finishing up with me. And I just said, was trying to express to them how important it was that they supported me in my, in my birth and in me trying so much when in fact, like they could have probably tried to push a lot harder on me to agree to a C-section at the beginning, which again, I think my, you know, my midwife at the beginning knew like, 
there's a risk that you could spend hours and hours in labor and then still end up with a C-section and just be exhausted. And um, for me personally, it was worth it. I, I won't say that that's true for every woman. I don't believe that it's true for every woman. But for me, it was. It was worth it to have done that. Um, and I think the midwife said, you know, sometimes the means are more important than the end result. And I said, that's it. You've got it. Um, and so I hope that they heard me and that they, that would translate for future clients or future patients. Um, the other sweet thing was, uh, my sister had been staying with us, caring for my girls and helping me. And she was there with them while we were at the hospital. And, Another friend of ours came to my house to relieve her for just a little bit so that she could scoot over to the hospital and meet Esther and hold her in recovery, actually, um, just so soon after birth. And it was just a joy, like just a gift to be able to share that moment with her. Um, She had invested and has invested so much in my daughters, and I was just grateful to be able to share Esther with her in those early moments um, because it's almost like, look, we've all worked really hard for this. Like you've been here helping us. And like, this is, this is our gift. Like this is our prize at the end of this long journey. And um, she and Esther have a really sweet bond now. It's actually funny. Um, They're Esther's like her BFF. So yeah, but I have to say that in spite of like as peaceful and as much as I felt like, you know, we submitted um, and surrendered and all those words um, to the birth that that was for us. I really struggled with like, what if we had done this differently? Or why why didn't this other thing happen? And um, I found peace in my heart one day. I guess the Lord just kind of, I don't know if he gave me this picture. But I just realized like I could have had. So I don't know if it was a picture from the Lord or just one day pondering and thinking this through. But. One day I just had um, this idea that if God had really, really needed or wanted me to have a vaginal birth for some growth of my character or for his kingdom or whatever, if he had really desired that for me, then I would have had Esther in a shower, in the shower at my house, a precipitous home birth. It could have happened. Um, but that's not the story that he chose to write for us. And regardless of like the degree of his sovereignty and my free will, I don't know, but that's not what happened. And I just want to trust his love for me and the journey that he has me on and that this was the best birth story that could have been written. And so I don't know that that brings peace to everyone's heart and certainly not. (sighs) There's so much to grief and and disappointment that I don't understand. Um, and everybody is so different in how they process disappointment. But for me, that brought me peace. And so if that's helpful to you, receive it. And if not, toss it away and let the Lord speak to you in his own way. At the end of each episode, I'm going to be asking moms, um, kind of if they have any specific encouragement for women or recommendations for ladies who are preparing for birth or even processing through a previous birth that they've had, And I think one of my biggest ones is I just strongly encourage childbirth education. Um, No matter the little bit that you've learned in school, the fact is that you've never personally done this. If you you haven't ever given birth before, I should say, this is your first baby, you should really invest in childbirth education. It is a worthwhile investment, and it's so important that you and your partner are on the same page. being a doula, of course, like I strongly recommend hiring a doula. I know that for some people that is viewed as really extra. Um, I think for most of us in the birth world, we view it as a necessity um, because we know that having that third person, someone to support our partner, to support us, to help us make wise decisions, not to make decisions for us, but to help us make in our own informed decisions to advocate for ourselves and all that, a doula is an integral part of a birth team huge, huge, huge. Um, I think that you could also find a lot of encouragement listening to positive birth stories. Um, there's probably going to be people that are, you know, they're not really thinking or they're just sharing something that happened to us. And it's maybe not as positive of a story. Maybe it's even a negative story. And those can be kind of hard to hear when you're in the, in the tender parts of pregnancy. But I just encourage you to let the, the discouraging things or hard things to fall away. And to cling to the good. Um, 
to cling to positive birth stories that are shared with you. Um, I also would say that having a support person or a cheerleader on your team, whether it's a spouse or a friend who's gone through, um, who's experienced birth before, or if you're specifically if you're if you're breastfeeding like the LHA League or different lactation consultants, like have those people in place and ready to support you because it can be really difficult and challenging. And it's it's great and it's good. It's not everything. <laughs> Birth isn't everything. Breastfeeding isn't everything. Cloth diapering, disposable diapering, they're in everything. Like we all have different paths in this journey of becoming moms. But I do encourage you to find support systems and have those in place as much as you can before the baby comes. Uh, And then the last thing I would say for the mom who is maybe processing through a difficult birth, maybe you've had one baby and that birth was really challenging and now you're looking forward to having another. Um, I would just say to spend time with the father and ask him where he was in your birth. That made a really a shift for me, especially after Jane's birth. That, That made a difference in how I viewed it. So... Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my birth stories today. I hope that they were encouraging to you and that you're able to just spend time with the father processing through anything that he might stir in you from having listened to this story. Hey friends, thanks for joining me today. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use. Please don't forget to check out my website at hopefulbirth.com where if you're interested, you can make a request to share your birth story on a future episode. Thanks for listening. 